Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio, second Wednesday books and authors show with Books Forward. We're your hosts, Nancy and Lisa, and today we're excited to welcome debut author Kathy A. Lewis. And she's joining us to talk about her historical fiction novel. It's called The Road We Took, Four Days in Germany, 1933. And it looks into Hitler's deadly plans nine years Mm. before the start of World War II and the Holocaust. That's something you don't really hear about. We always kind of focus on what happened during the Holocaust, but Mm -hmm. not actually what was happening, what brewed it all together. The book comes out on February 15th, 2022. And of course, you can pre-order so I encourage you to go to Kathy's website. It's Kathy A. Lewis, and that's Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y. And Lewis is L-E-W-I-S, so KathyALewis.com. And welcome to the show, Kathy. How are you? Hey, it's so great to be with you both today. I'm doing, I'm doing great today. Awesome. That's awesome. It's awesome. Um, I think this is real. I know Nancy's reading the book, and so mm-hmm. I'm just going to say this one thing. This is truth. We really don't read that much, in especially historical fiction, about the right before World War II and how that started, unless you're really reading about Hitler and his whole big, you know, plan um, and, and studying that kind of thing. You don't really hear stories about that, really. The well, beforehand. exactly. Exactly. And most people don't know the history of what happened. Whenever you mention, you know, Hitler, it's immediately their minds go to September 1939 when Poland was invaded. And they believed that that was the starting point when actually the starting point was when he became chancellor January of, of um, 1933, uh, January 30th. And prior to that, he had already been head of the Nazi party for many, many years. If you, you know, you know your history, know that mm. he staged that beer hall pooch in Munich in 1920, uh, in 1923 and was arrested for participation in that. And then while he was imprisoned, uh, he dictated the book, which became Mein Kampf, to mm. um, um, Rudolf Hess, who was imprisoned with him. And so when they were released in 1925, that book was published and, and circulated all through Germany and Vienna, uh, Austria. And the book um, became almost like the Bible to the people of those regions. So they were really indoctrinated and um, firmly believed in, in all the premises that Hitler put forth in Mein Kampf, you know, that Germany was oppressed and the oppression was because of the Jews and World War I was because of the Jews and the Treaty of Versailles was because of the Jews. Hmm. And so that animus was, was already um, propagated um, with those people. So when he 
took over power, well, when he became chancellor in 33, um, the people were already on board with him and the Nazi party grew exponentially from that point on where, you know, citizens were just, yes, because they believed that he was going to create this perfect utopian world for the German people and rescue them from this plight that uh, was forced upon them all at the hands of the Jews. And so that the hatred was already in place and he started um, those evil plans against the Jews and anyone really that didn't fit that Aryan ideal um, right from the get-go. It Mm. wasn't, you know, with the implementation of the final solution in 1941. No, this started in January of 1933. Wow. I wonder how he was brought up to come to be such a monster. You know, that's a good question. And I'm sure there's historians that have have done that work looking into his life and his background. I do know that he had a almost unhealthy attachment to his mother and had some real serious issues with with that relationship um, mm-hmm. and and was was very emotionally tied to her. And when she died, he blamed the doctor who was Jewish for her death. Oh, oh, I didn't know wow. that. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, that is kind of trippy. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. yeah, wow. So I, I hmm. want to go into Tom Family. Um, this actually, the whole book idea wasn't this from going through your 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 dad's like his book, his his mementos, his journal. Like you found like mm-hmm. a a bag of stuff, you know? Exactly. That- yeah. So I had this little suitcase in my possession since 1995 when my dad passed away. But I'd always been working like a dog all the time in the restaurant business. And then I moved to Nashville in 96 and opened a restaurant, was working 90 hours a week and just didn't really have the time to devote to give it a um, thorough going over. And so when my uh, surgery for my ankle fusion was planned and the doctor told me I was going to have six months off, can't walk for six months, I thought, wow. Uh-oh. I'm going to need something really creative to do um, mm. during that time period. So I don't go bonkers. Yeah. And the thought came to me now is the time to investigate that suitcase. So mm. when I opened it up and I, it immediately had a flashback to childhood memories of my dad showing me all the things that were in this little suitcase, talking about his trip through Europe. So the suitcase came as a result of a six week trip. He took through Europe with his Boy Scout troop Mm. on the way to the fourth world jamboree being held in Godolo, Hungary. Now this happened in the summer of 33 at the height, the pinnacle of the depression. And it still blows my mind to think that my grandparents, this was a family of six sent my father on this trip through Europe and with $50 in his pocket. Wow. I mean, that just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that. But, but that like that, you know, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. But he was 16, almost 17 at the time. Uh, he traveled through and he kept a journal and wrote faithfully every day in his journal about what he saw and what he experienced. And as I'm going through all of his mementos and recalling conversations with him, we had as children, as when I was younger and my sister and brother. And uh, he would tell us stories about his Boy Scout troop and about the trip. 
um, I had forgotten completely about the journal. And when I opened up the journal and started to read it, um, it just um, really shook me up because he wrote about these four days that he spent in Germany and what he saw. Cause after the jamboree was over, they, they came through Germany on the way to the port at Bremen to take the ship back to the United States. So they spent four days in Germany and he saw things that were in, that we now know were in direct violation of the treaty of Versailles that he saw mm-hmm. armaments and trucks and tanks and, they had wow. amassed soldiers and he saw this huge parade of like a hundred thousand soldiers and they were in Nuremberg and saw a, uh, a rally of, of 40,000 Hitler youth. And while he was in Vienna, um, he ran into, didn't run into, but a Hitler youth approached him um, and said that he was a former Boy Scout, but Hitler had issued an edict that no Hungarian or uh, no um, Austrian or German boy would attend the jamboree. And it was compulsory for all boys to quit all their other uh, involvements and groups and organizations and join Hitler youth. They had to. Wow. Um, and if they didn't, they would be severely punished, probably put in a concentration camp. So wow. he was speaking with this boy and had quite a conversation with him. And at the end of it, my dad wrote in the journal and I, the boy's name was Wolfren. Wolfton. Hmm. And um, he wrote, I found him to be a fine fellow. And I thought, oh my goodness, I Hmm. wonder if that fine fellow, what my dad didn't know, 10 years later, he'd marry a Jewish immigrant whose family, extended family, not her parents, but her aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents were all murdered by Nazis in Baranovice, Poland. Hmm. And I wondered if that fine fellow was involved in any of that. And at that point, I thought, I need to write about this. And so uh, I called a cousin of mine who I'm very close to and was telling her the story. And she just admonished me. She said, you have to, you owe this to our family. You have to write the story. You have to come up with a story. I said, yeah, but you know, there's just, there's just so much that, that, you know, not, not enough to fill a whole book. And then she said, well, have you ever heard of the word fiction? I was like, well, (laughs) yes. She said, so you can tell some of the stories, but do it um, through characters in a fictional story. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And Hmm. um, that's, that's how my book came about. Wow. And have you written before? No. Wow. Because you really write well. I mean, it's amazing. Loving this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love she said it's it's yeah, she says it's a rough, it's, it's, you know, this, the whole topic, you know, it's a, the, yeah, what it's, happened it's, is sad. But well, it's, it, a, it's a touchy subject, for sure. It is. And I did copious amounts of research. I did about three months of research before I even began to write because I wanted to get the facts straight. I wanted mm. to convey the message that hatred is something that cannot be contained. And when it gets a spark, it's sure to turn into a fire unless it's extinguished. And I wanted to illustrate through the book how quickly this fire of hatred spread. And it's so um, interesting because we almost see this kind of thing being repeated today. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's so much division in our country and and there's so many different ideologies out there and, and people, you know, being very... Um, 
you know, adamant about what they believe in their stance and things. And, and it's almost like a precursor, uh, you know, to similar to what happened in, in, in Germany and in Europe. And so I, I feel for the sake of my relatives that died and perished in the Holocaust that um, we can never let people forget um, how quickly hatred sp- spreads and how we all have a responsibility to do our part to ensure that um, that doesn't happen again. Yeah, you know, and, and it is interesting. I mean, we've lived in several different countries, some with dictators and some with sort of democracies in mm-hmm. Africa. And I, the hatred thing, from my personal experience, is always based on fear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, and so, and the only thing that I can see that can fix that is education. And it's so important that people not separate themselves from other people who just happen to be different than them. Absolutely. They have to, they need to go to lunch together. (laughs) They need to hear the differences from an aspect of, hey, this is interesting. I could learn something instead of from if you're not liking me, you're out. That's right. You know, it's so important. And, you know, the whole Hitler thing and what he was able to do, you're right. Just recently in our political history of the last few years, mm-hmm. it, it's very clear to me what could almost happen if we don't get our wits about us. Mm-hmm. I believe it started really about longer than that. I believe it started Mm -hmm. about 15 years ago, really, really? where there became a great division of ideologies where um, there was a separation of if you're not if you're not with us, you're against us. And I think that was a real starting point. And it just continued to accelerate, really reaching a a peak these last few years. and, you know, we, for the sake of our civilization, we really have to guard against that yeah. because, um, you know, only destruction can come from it. And that's a really good point. These things are absolutely fear-based. Um, yeah. Hatred is fear-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, what people are afraid of and what they don't know. And when people are different, it gives them cause to be afraid, which, like you said, if you just went and had lunch and sat down with them, you'd find out that you had a lot more in common versus than -hmm. what you didn't. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, the, the Jews throughout, throughout civilization, I always use the example of the burning bush. You're familiar with that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So Moses is standing um, before the burning bush. And I always use the burning bush as an example of the nation Israel persecuted yet never consumed. Mm -hmm. And so you know, the Jews being um, looked at as um, completely different from the rest of, of the world throughout history, you can see it where they were, they were blamed for so many things like the Black Plague, which was mm. spread by rats, but that was, you know, blamed on the Jews that they were tainting the water. And uh, there's right. been horrific stories over the years told. And 
And when people are marginalized and made to fit a caricature of someone's imagination, it it become it takes on a life of its own where people, mm-hmm. um, you know, become afraid of that. And yeah. so the Jews were so villainized, and because their practices and their orthodoxy and their religious practices were so different than um, everyone basically around them at that time. Um, they were they were viewed as 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 bad and something to be afraid of. Mm. Um, you know, there were stories of that the Jews would kill Christian children and take their blood to make their their matzah for for oh, their oh my for their, for their for their Shabbat. Seriously? You know, I right seriously, <laughs> seriously? These, these these were stories that were told <laughs> over history. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, but people bought into this stuff because of, like you said, lack of education mm-hmm. and education yeah. is really the key. And so my book, the intention is to educate people um, into w- what can happen when, when hatred gets out of control. And, you know, I know when I first took Lisa to Africa, we lived with a couple of different tribes here and there. My parents went crazy. They did, you know, that how, oh my God, how could you do that? Uh, and we were just fine. It was a That's different. That's so fascinating. It's, it was a different experience. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, Lisa, did you ever feel scared? No. No, even, you know what, even, you know, even in South, when we lived in South Africa, it was after Kenya, um, mm-hmm. we, ended up in part of the riots that were happening it was right mm-hmm. at the point of overturning the apartheid mm-hmm. the stupid you know thing yeah. that they i mean that's just crazy i mean mm-hmm. like i i you know when we first got back to this country i was just like whoa america seems to still be just as bad as south africa except mm-hmm. south africa re- wrote it down mm-hmm. that's the only yeah. difference in, in, in the in the and the stuff that's going on and, and America has not really done any better work over the, since we've been to this country and we didn't do it, man. Um, but it's, um, you know, when we ended up in riots and being in the middle of them, mm. you know, being like in Grahamstown, we were there with Nancy had a magazine there and, um, you know, and I was working for her as a you know, teenager out of high school and a couple of my friends. And I remember we were in Grahamstown, not Grahamstown, excuse me. It was a, Karoo, up in the Karoo, Nancy, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Crawford Crawford Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, there was a riot in the street. And yeah. it was kind of a march. It's not all right. So there's a, di- I really a riot. Just say there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between a march and a riot. Yeah. And the riots come after the marches, typically in, in our life. And I yeah. remember being in that, and you just got in it and crossed the street through it, and nobody heard <laughs> us. We ended up in a takeover of a shopping mall where that they took over the mall. And we were, the mall got shut down with everybody in it, which Mm. is scary. But um, we were in a restaurant in the mall and we just turned around and had another glass of wine and enjoyed it. But nobody heard us. And there was distraction, Mm -hmm. but nobody hurt us. Mm -hmm. And we've been in some other, a ton of situations. Mm -hmm. They never really, truly hurt us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that fear you know, we, we are human beings and Mm -hmm. we should be scared. I suppose when there's a riot, I don't know if we just got thick skinned about stuff, but um, 
I just I never I, had a fear to the people. I had a fear of the police in South Africa. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because serious fear of the police because they, yeah. you know, Nelson Mandela came in, he fired 80% of the police mm-hmm. and that was all colors, all colors. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a good reason. I mean, you couldn't walk down, walk home from school without a police mm-hmm. van or pickup truck yeah. coming down totally, and trying to, totally corrupt. trying to, you know, pick you up as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And they wow. raped women. They yeah. did bad things. And so it, it was very, it's a, it's an interesting thing, but it is all about fear. All mm-hmm. of it is mm-hmm. fear. And what happened in South Africa, what happens in this country, what happened in, in you know, Europe. Um, and we're still going through this. I don't understand how we get past it, but I do believe the power of the pen mm-hmm. re- and the power of music, the power of food, something you know very well, helps us get past that kind of fear don't yes. you see that in restaurants too i mean oh absolutely absolutely yeah. because it transcends it you mm-hmm. know and and food is the is the one common denominator of something mm-hmm. that we all need and that there can be breaking of bread mm-hmm. a meeting of minds and a gathering of people's hearts together over a meal it's amazing you know if you could just mm-hmm. do yeah, I've thought about this before, having this whole thing called one meal at a time mm-hmm. and ha- providing a meal, bringing together people that are absolutely opposed, diametrically opposed in their belief systems, bringing them together, having a meal and sitting at a table and talking and finding commonalities wow. versus differences. There's a re- that- there is an actual nonprofit that does that. Really? For the life of, I, we interviewed them when we first started. Our, I mean, it's like 15 wow. years ago. Uh-huh. They came on our show and everybody had to be a different denomination uh-huh. of beliefs or uh, cultures, different, mm-hmm. you know, and it was about, I think it was more on the religious side, mm-hmm. which is all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And, but people would have these meetups and discuss things. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. And share what's common, go what's not common. Oh, for the life of me, it it was really fascinating and they said it was about people all coming together to understand and I think we need to do it even for what's going on in everyone you know whether if you're gay you're straight you're Mm -hmm. not gay I mean if you're bi if you're a lesbian everybody's got all these things too I Mm -hmm. think that has to happen too I I believe so too we have to all just break bread together but then the power of the pen like I was saying is also so powerful writing Mm -hmm. fiction which can later be also turned into a TV series or a movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that um, music tells the story of history. It's mm-hmm. very real because musicians tend to write what's happening now. That's you can right. believe music more than you can the news. That's right. The time. And, but the same thing with historical fiction, when you actually have the, inf- like you're talking about getting things right, doing the research, but having a story to it so that people can, grasp it if it's a Mm -hmm. bunch of dates no one's going to grasp it exactly exactly Mm -hmm. yes and so it had to be something tangible that people could connect to and so i 
very carefully crafted my characters that way so that they would represent, um, you know, kind of different viewpoints of the time period, Mm. Um, you know, and they're not necessarily the viewpoints of today, but um, it was important to, you know, have, have different points of view within the book, um, Mm. you know, to, to communicate those things. Um, I just had a thought and it just totally ran what, away from my I brain. didn't do it. <laughs> Who took that? Yeah. There's, there's a cat running around somewhere. <laughs> it's a black cat. There's um, a big question mark. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think, you know, people forget what the difference between animals and humans are. Like sometimes in the animal world, if you're the smallest of whatever species the others turn on you or maybe mm-hmm. you were born with a white streak and yeah, none of the others have a white streak so now mm-hmm. they they oust you mm-hmm. that's in the animal world and then mm-hmm. I look at what we do and I'm like mm-hmm. are we so different because weren't we supposed to be better than that isn't our education supposed to lift us above that animal level well that and we're also created we are the one species that has free will choice right we are able to make free will choice animals can't and And so that's what's supposed to set us above and and unless hitler comes in and you meet up with hitler then you don't have free choice anymore you don't have any kind of choice one funny thing i point out in the book is you you know um, how hitler would wax on and on about you know, this ideal Aryan and how they were virile and big, strong, blonde (laughs) hair, blue eyed men and all of this. Right. Yeah. But if you look at him and all of his henchmen, Goebbels, Himmler, Mm. Rudolf Hess, all all of them, they're all little short men with black hair and black (laughs) eyes. It's like, did anybody ever give these guys a mirror? Hello. Hello. Oh, my gosh. Right? Ironic? Wow. Again, that was his whole circle was fear-based. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. And so there you are. So you could look. Wow. Uh, You can see the lack of personal identification, what makes you different from Mm -hmm. the person you're following. Not a Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. Do you have your own mind? Or did you let somebody else substitute your mind? with their mind really but I think when people are you know Germany was oppressed after World Mm -hmm. War One the Treaty of Versailles really did crush them Mm -hmm. um, as a nation and that's the sad thing about when when wars like this happen it's the innocent people it's the citizens that end up having to pay the greater price because mm-hmm. i guarantee you that the people that were in charge uh of germany um after world war one um even though it was what was it the um we uh Wormer republic and it was supposed to be run like a democracy, but they there were so many limitations placed on them by the treaty that they they suffered so much economically, and they were they were hurting as a nation, and they were also starving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here comes this guy who makes all these claims and promises about what he's going to do for Germany and make them the greatest nation in the world, and he's going to bring back money and wealth and 
all of these things for the people and the people oh, make are Germany great again. Make Germany great. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's frightening, Ooh. you know, mm. but you could see why people would kind of get on board with that in a way. If you were raised in that kind of atmosphere, I hold no animus against, against Germany or the German people. Oh, I mean, you can't. For what, yeah. for what took place, you know, all you no. can do is just really have a broken heart for what they had to suffer through because so many people, innocent citizens died at just, you know, for no reason. No it was reason. a major brainwashing. It was a major brainwashing. It really is. And you see that in, in Africa, same thing, you know, we talking about, you know the African people Again, are amazing, you know, but mm-hmm. it was also, they would, uh, there, the dictators would go after the young, mm-hmm. yeah. young kids and, yeah. you know, turn them into like little warriors yeah. and, you know, and yeah, little soldiers and, mm-hmm. you know, that's when when the men take over away from the women because the mm-hmm. women are you don't mess with the women you never know mm-hmm. no. <laughs> no no um they'll but poison they, you they, i mean it's <laughs> it's pretty brutal and um and and they get brainwashed at a very young age to become and and get these little tastes of power mm-hmm. and cheered on the, mm-hmm. the more bad stuff you do the more you're you know applauded and mm-hmm. It's a it's a really vicious cycle, and that is this this fear. I mean, and there are women who do this kind of thing too. Make no mistake, especially yeah. in the world of drugs and mm-hmm. drug dealings. And yes. um, there are some very good female criminals. Yes, um, really good. And so never underestimate what a woman can do in the skills of organizing. And um, so it's not just men, but it just feels like that um, that major power hungry kind of thing. Um, you know, but it's really, I mean, for you going through all of this and writing it, finding this, I mean, this is some historical, this, this is stuff that should be in a museum almost like what your dad had, um, you know, that had to be kind of wow. putting mm. yourself in what, what your dad was going through. Mm-hmm. Was yeah, that, and yeah. I put together a whole, a very cool shutterfly book photographed every every single piece of um, memorabilia, put the date of the journal, I, I synchronized the whole thing, put together this cool. fabulous Shutterfly book, had 15 of them published through Shutterfly, sent each one, they cost like $55 each to produce, but sent one, I had a friend who was very well connected with the Boy Scouts of America, sent a book to the, the very top echelons of the Boy Scouts organization, mm. I got one email that said, send your belongings to this address. Thank you. What? Right. I was <laughs> like, what? you can imagine the words that came out of my mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, had, they had no interest. Uh, all they wanted was my stuff. They didn't care about me. They didn't care about the story. They just wanted the stuff. That's well, maybe they, they wanted about. to get rid of it. I don't Hide know. it possible hide it hide it possible yeah i i've told friends if i if i end up missing one day and look and the, the, and, the, and the suitcase is gone <laughs> you'll know who did it but, uh, but, you, but i don't know the the boy scouts reputation has taken a bit of it has lately it, it really it really really has and it's too bad but yeah i even called the you know museum of american history and uh i did my due diligence to try mm. to get this stuff uh, into a museum and no one was really interested. Wow. So I thought the heck with Crazy. you, I'm going to write a book. 
Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> you know, and here, it, okay, so, hmm. you know, on your website and, and blog, because in everyone, you can go to kathyalewis.com. Um, you can be, you know, posting that kind of thing for all of us, right? That way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. I do. And I tell, I tell stories and I try to blog um, twice a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for me, because I'm, I'm busy cooking and I'm involved mm. in other charities and things. Um, two blogs a month is, is pretty good for me. <laughs> mm. And, and yeah, everyone really go to her blog. It's on her website. You can find the link at the bottom of the page. And um, yeah. You, you, wow. They can sign up too. They can sign up. And yeah. they'll get it uh, all updates, recipes, um, writings, musings, all of those things will come directly into their mailbox. They just have to sign up. And then when they get the link that says confirm your email, that's essential. Confirm your email. You will automatically be added to the list. Cool. And all the cooking, too. I mean, you are, you know, a chef, a personal chef now. I've run restaurants, uh, cooked as a personal chef and catering and for celebrities, musical celebrities, go everyone go on the website, you'll see, um, which is, you know, amazing work. And, you know, a lot goes into it. And I know before we recorded, we were talking about how hard it is, uh, the restaurant world, the food industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now we're also, it's also changed. I mean, everyone's it got has. dietary issues now. Yes. With, I mean, everything. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, here's your <laughs> carrot stick. Sorry, I'm now allergic to carrots. Right. I mean, someone's exactly. going to be allergic to carrots somewhere in the world at this you think? point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. But the, it's, we're all like, in, what have we done to our food system? But uh, going back to, you know, you're putting recipes on, which all look fabulous. And I'm really hungry now looking at your website while we're talking. I'm like, dude, that looks really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, when you're, there's something really magical about cooking where there's, you have your recipe, your formula, but then there's this magic that happens where it's like, you know, I'll just do this over here a little bit and tweak this over there. And it becomes mm-hmm. something new and so when you're writing the book did that kind of skill of writing recipes go into the creative side but also knowing like if you bake you can't mess with the measurements right that's right that's right because it's you're you're doing chemistry now and chemistry is a lot different it's all about cause and effect Mm. if you do this this is what happens if you don't do this then this will happen so Mm -hmm. it's cause and effect but you know, working as a chef really did prepare me to write the book because there's a process I go through. Say I'm designing a menu. I create a menu. I do the research for the recipes, source the ingredients, write the prep list, and then execute the dish. Mm -hmm. And I found that same process with writing where I do Mm -hmm. the research, write the outline, write the chapter. And so it was just um, kind of a fascinating discovery that, that there's this application of the same skill set used mm-hmm. between two distinctly different professions, you know? Oh, wow. So it's the, that's the thing you were talking about, you know, when we were talking about Nancy. On class. The, so it's the same thing when you did your research, you yes. needed to have all that there. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you got it. Exactly. Otherwise, it's your mise en place. Get your mess in place. You're looking for the baking powder. That's I right. like that though. <laughs> well, see, you see, I like that because I'm a Virgo and I'm a real pain in the butt about like, ding, 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 everything in order. Yes. And, and then I feel, and then I'm also super creative. 
But I, if I have it all lined up, then I feel like, okay, now I'm just going to mess it all up. I'm going to get my crayons out and I'm coloring over the lines <laughs> because I got it all there. I can do it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. there is a freedom in, in having everything in place. Yes. It's like, you don't have to have that nagging thing at the back well, of your brain. You're right. Supposed, you know, it's my, already. Yeah. My grandmother taught me, you can break the rules, but only once you know them. That's exactly right. And yeah. this is what I would tell young chefs and young cooks all the time is that you follow those rules until you understand how this recipe is put together backwards, mm. forwards, upside down, inside out. Once you understand it, then you can break the rules. Yeah. Like making risotto, for example, just for example. But, um, you know, now that you understand the very premise of the recipe and how it's supposed to come together, then you can, if you have to, make changes, you can make changes to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I, I believe in, in though, uh, staying with the integrity of the recipe as much as possible, because you do know what your end result is going to be. Yeah. And um, one point, and I say this often, it's, I think it's my refrain is that I became a chef way before it was cool to become a chef. Mm. You know, I graduated from the CIA. She did it before the in nineteen network. <laughs> in nineteen eighty one. Yeah, and I'm writing a blog actually about my one year teaching during the time the Food Network was was all the rage, and I had all these students, brand new students in my class, first day of class, and I thought, okay, I'm going to give them a little bit of a litmus test here. I'm going to see just how how much the Food Network has had an impact on their mm. lives. Ooh. Why do they want to become chefs? Is it because of love of food, love of people, love of service, or is it because they think it's cool? I said, okay, how many of you want to be a celebrity chef? And out of 25 people, 15 people raised their hand. I mm. said, oh. get the hell out of my classroom. You have no business <laughs> being here. See, you can't, you can't believe That's the looks on their faces. So, oh but but you know what? I think it's harder to be a celebrity chef or to be, you know, uh, what you do cooking for celebrities because they, it's like, whoo, you got to have your stuff together, man. You, it's like it, that is your. I mean, it's like not only because there's so much attention to detail in food and serving food. But and then all the different things that go on. But um, and there's a relationship with that, too. With well, the that's the thing. Cooking. The people yeah. that I cooked for, I was already had a relationship with and was close. Yeah. With. And so one actress I traveled with many times to many movie locations um, and and was with her and her husband at the time. And, um, you know, when you live with people like that, when she was doing a Broadway show, she rented this huge house in Alpine, New Jersey. And we, we lived together there on and off for like four and a half months. Wow. And, um, yeah. you know, when you live with people like that, you, you know, you're like used to seeing each other looking like a mess in the morning and, and you're okay with it. You know, it's not like, I mean, uh, nobody pulls any punches. Everything's just like above board. Yeah. I think, you and, you, and you do it. Exactly. I think that's, you know, with us, that intimate part, mm. it's about getting down and getting real, you know yes. what I mean? But um, It is totally it's about getting real and having that relationship and, and it's not about the, the glitz and the glamor. It's not all that. And you know, it's, it's getting, it's part of a relationship to make something happen. And I think what you've done in writing the story and uh, you know, putting your family history there and really bringing this to the forefront at a time that I think is very crucial is, is commendable and, you know, right on, man, you wrote a book. Yeah. That's, 
That's cool. And fiction. It's not just, you know what? I know it's, you know, people write business books, nonfiction books, and it can be mm-hmm. really difficult because you need to get that over. But writing fiction and Nancy was, you know, Nancy, you're digging it. She's, yeah. you know, it's awesome. Uh, to do historical novels and get it right. It's, it's a, that's a, that's a challenge. And obviously you do know relationships to make it work on the pages. I don't think you can write about people unless you know people. Know people. Agree. And I've been yeah. observing my whole life. Yeah. My whole life I've spent observing people. Mm-hmm. You could watch just... them in a restaurant. Do they really like that? They... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. like, do you really know which way to swirl your wine? Are you just saying, oh, look at the legs on that. Oh, we're not supposed to say legs anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's all about the terroir. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know there's more coming down the road for you in the written word, right? Yes, yes, yes. I I have a couple things in the works Um, may take a little bit longer than this book did, but maybe not. It just depends. You know, um, I'm I'm quite busy. These days, uh, I didn't don't have the luxury of having six months off at a time, but I should be careful what I wish for. There could be another surgery coming my way to fix yet another part on, on this old car. Um, the spirit is willing, but the body is very weak. (laughs) So we'll have to see, uh, you know, what's down the road, but I will be writing. I can guarantee that I will be writing. I hope all goes well with your health because it's health is very important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but it does give you a good excuse to write. (laughs) It absolutely does. You know, I don't, I say that, I mean, I want you to be healthy and happy and not, and be in pain, but we do, we do want the next, the next thing coming out, but everyone, uh, you can keep up with Kathy, go to kathyalewis.com and that's C-A-T-H-Y-A and then Lewis is L-E-W-I-S and the book again, the road we took four days in Germany, 1933, and it comes out February 15th, 2022. And you can, of course, go pre-order on Amazon, all those great places, and go right uh, to Kathy's website. And you can do it on bookshop.org, I bet, because you know what? It's, they support uh, independent bookstores. And I know, Kathy, you've got independent bookstores that you're working through, right? Parnassus. Parnassus in yeah. Nashville, yes. And, you know, um, that's Ann, Ann Patchett's bookstore, mm. author Ann Patchett. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um, whatever we can all do to keep these bookstores going. It's yes. important. It's, it's, they're important. Like libraries are important. They we absolutely, they absolutely are. And they have events and it's just, you know, when you go in a bookstore, they're dangerous. Nancy mm-hmm. and I are really bad in bookstores, <laughs> put us in a nursery, a, you know, a plant nursery, a bookstore, anything with music. And um, that's when the there money, you go. that's yeah. when the <laughs> bank account, it's just like we should walk in and go, Here's the bank account. <laughs> Just take it and we'll take your store. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Parnassus is a fabulous bookstore and, and their, uh, the link to um, their website actually is where you can order the book is on my website. Perfect. Um, and you can even order a book um, personally signed by me um, if you order it before the um publication date of February 15th. So Perfect. if you want me to sign a book for you, order it through Parnassus. Okay. Cool. Go through Parnassus because again, local bookstore, independent bookstore. That's Yay. right. We love it. Thank you so much, Kathy. It has been a true yeah, pleasure awesome. and we hope we get to chat again. 
I hope so too. Lisa, Nancy, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Awesome.